1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 4. And if you're turned to 1 Peter chapter 5, would you stand together with me out of respect for the word of God? 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Father, we humbly ask for the help of your Holy Spirit as we continue now in this time of worship. Lord, as we sang and expressed our hearts in worship and prayed and fellowshiped, Lord, we believe that this is just as much a part of our worship unto you as we open the word of God in your presence And Lord, look to you to speak into our lives as the living God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that we can become equipped as men and women of God for every good work you have for us. So Lord, prepare us accordingly. You know what that means for each one of us and what we're asking. We ask for your spirit's ministry to be in our midst and that you'd bless your word and that Holy Spirit you would teach us in this time, and we ask in Jesus' wonderful name expectantly. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, imagine if you would being caught in sort of a perilous storm uh, in the midst of the open seas. And in that situation, if you found yourself in a perilous storm on the open seas, in that moment, the presence of a good captain at the helm really would probably be one of the main things that was a determining factor of the welfare of everyone else that was on board. And you know what? I think that becomes then that illustration in our minds, sort of almost a reminder to us that in difficult times and in difficult hours, leadership becomes all the more critical and important. Leadership is essential. And in our present world, I'll tell you this, you're free to disagree. I think we are living in pretty perilous times. Uh, When I see what's happening on the forecast of the news and watch what's going on in our world, it seems like we're some in pretty unstable, stormy, and troubled waters. And the scary thing is, tragically, there also seems to be an absence of healthy and strong leadership on every level. It seems there's a vacuum of leadership politically. It seems there's an absence many times of leadership domestically in family lives. It seems that there's even tragically, worst of all, in many ways, an absence of leadership spiritually. And God knowing how absolutely critical and important leadership is, especially among his flock, gives us here in 1 Peter 5 instruction regarding spiritual leadership. And of all forms of leadership, let me just say that is the most important type of leadership that we need in our world. I'm thankful for political leadership, it has its purpose. 
It's important that there be good leadership in the home and parents be parents rather than trying to be friends and be buddies and so But the type of leadership that our world needs because it will affect things politically, domestically, and every other way is for good, healthy, strong, spiritual leadership. And here in this text, we find instruction regarding spiritual leadership being given to us. Remember, the background of Peter's audience he's writing to, as we've been looking at, is he's writing to a group of Christians in the midst of hardship. They're going through difficult times. They're struggling. They're suffering. And Peter knows that leadership among the church was absolutely vital. So he now addresses in chapter 5, having talked to the congregation about many different things, he now addresses specifically in the fifth chapter, in the beginning of it, the actual leaders among the local congregations there in Asia Minor where this letter was going out to among a group of Christians who were scattered abroad and suffering. And he gives here, we see, instruction and exhortation and even encouragement to the leaders among those churches. And he challenges them in regards to things like having a shepherd's heart and having the heart of a shepherd and pure and proper motivations for their ministry. He warns and cautions them among uh, some of some of the uh, sort of potential pitfalls that at times can come into a person's life that's in leadership, some of the sinful tendencies that can creep in and a leader can fall prey to. And he exhorts them to fulfill their ministry functions faithfully and to trust Jesus to reward them accordingly and to do it for the right motivations. Now, as you note these verses, as we read them and you begin to recognize who they're directed to and what they're for, you may ask, well, I mean, beyond a few specific people who in a sense are the leadership among a congregation, you know, that, that's really a few people. What does learning these things really have anything to do with me? Uh, They seem directed towards a few specific people in leadership roles. He says to the elders that he's writing these things. Well, I would say this. From these texts and verses that we have here, there are valuable spiritual lessons that we can all apply to our lives. From these verses in front of us, there are spiritual principles that can be applied to any form of ministry or any form of service that you would choose to engage in as a Christian. And I think as well, importantly, and it shouldn't be overlooked, these verses that we're looking at in front of us give to us standards by which church leaders and spiritual leaders should be held to. They give to us standards from the word of God for those who are in places of spiritual leadership that we as Christians generally should measure spiritual leaders by and their standards that we should hold spiritual leaders to so that as God's people as a flock have to determine where they're going to graze spiritually and where they're going to gather together in a sense and receive their spiritual care that they can make a good determination is this the place where I should be grazing as a sheep Are the spiritual leaders, in a sense, fulfilling what the Word of God says they're supposed to be fulfilling? And is this a safe and a wise and spiritually fruitful place for me to gather as a flock? So I encourage you, pay attention and know that this passage, like every passage in God's Word, it's alive and it has principles that can be valuable to you. So the first thing Peter mentions to us here in verse 1, as he begins to address those he's writing to, is he says, the elders who are among you... I exhort, who am a fellow elder, he says, 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So the first thing we see Peter do in verse one is he sort of identifies for us and he acknowledges who Jesus uses to tend his flock. And we see very clearly the word of God teaches us that Jesus, the chief shepherd, tends his sheep through appointed under shepherds. We read in verse four that Jesus is the chief shepherd. So the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the way that he tends his flock here on this earth, the Bible tells us, is through anointed and godly individuals that he raises up and he uses as vessels and conduits to serve as under shepherds to take care of and to tend his flock. So Peter addresses those appointed by the Lord in that office or that position by calling them here in verse one elders. Now that term elder, when you see it in the New Testament, is a title or a term that refers to the spiritually mature man. Someone who is of sound and solid Christian character, who's been given a measure of authority by God to serve in an office of spiritual leadership among the church. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament that the responsibility of the elder is basically attend to the spiritual needs among the church body. The Bible also speaks of those who would have a role of a deacon and the deacon is the role primarily within leadership and and among the church, basically, where a person tends to the physical needs or the material aspects of the church, where the elder is predominantly by God called to put their primary focus and their foremost attention upon attending to the spiritual needs of the flock, the word of God and prayer and spiritual oversight and to give their attention to the spiritual care of the church body. We find qualifications for elders in passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in Titus chapter 1, where there God, in a sense, gives a list. And through that list, he basically says, this is how you identify and qualify those who should be in the function of an elder. And in that same list, I don't think it's just qualifications to be met. I think it's also, in a sense, God is saying, and these also are standards to be maintained. So God says, this is how you identify someone who should be an elder, but this is also the standard in a sense of someone who is an elder that they should continue to live according to. And if they don't, then they should not be serving as an elder any longer. And you take note when you look at those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that the emphasis, pay attention, is all upon character. It's upon character. It's not upon talent. It's not upon experience. It's not upon education. It's all upon character because God says, if you give me character, I can bless everything else. If you can supply character, God says, I can anoint with my power. So the elder became sort of a, a designation or office of one who provided oversight in the local church. And that term elder you find in the New Testament is used interchangeably in the New Testament for those who are also referred to as an overseer or a pastor. And we find that term used interchangeably in the New Testament, the elder, the overseer, the pastor. Basically, those three terms, elder, overseer, and pastor, we find in the New Testament 
are all basically terms used in a sense synonymously to refer to the same individual. Those who are spiritually mature men who have offices of oversight, who shepherd or pastor God's flock. These individuals are the ones the Lord utilizes for such purposes. Acts 20.28 says that Paul called together the elders of Ephesus and said to them, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Peter here, as an elder, is now seeking to write and to address other elders. And take note in the text with me in verse 1, how Peter represents himself. He says, to the elders among you, I who am a fellow elder. Now, I find that insightful. Notice Peter's humility. Peter did not see himself in some way elevated among the other elders. He calls himself very humbly a fellow elder. He says, I am just a fellow elder serving in the same capacity as the other elders and leaders among me. Peter did not represent himself as some higher level spiritually or having some exalted measure of authority over others. And even if Peter did, and potentially he did, have a role in the early church whereby in a sense the way things functioned among the ministry of the church that some of the other leaders in a sense did responsibly follow his leadership Peter nonetheless does not represent himself or expect to have some elevated treatment he doesn't expect somehow for people to give him greater recognition he saw himself as a fellow comrade among the other leaders and those who were serving in his midst. And let me just say this by way of application, especially as it comes to leadership in any capacity if God allows you to lead others and to serve them. As you look at the humility of Peter, I would remind you of this. People are much more interested and willing to follow someone who is just quite frankly down to earth in their leadership style. If you relate to people that you lead and you speak to people that you lead as one engaged in the exact same battles, I tell you this, fellow soldiers will follow such a one. And if you have a measure of humility and a down-to-earth attitude whereby you lead as a fellow soldier engaged in the same battles, people will pay attention. And they'll give a lot more attention to someone who like a fellow soldier is in the midst engaged in the same battles rather than someone who's sort of just barking orders from some high pinnacle looking down their nose. And, and look what Peter also in verse 1 connects as well together with his referring to his spiritual leadership. He calls himself in verse 1, what? A witness of the sufferings of Christ and he says also a partaker of the glory which will be revealed. So Peter there in verse 1, as he speaks of himself, he's referring to his own personal experiences with Jesus. He calls himself someone who was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter, firsthand, as an eyewitness, saw the suffering that Jesus went through. In his, in his ministry and in his death and his crucifixion. And because Peter experienced it firsthand as a witness, he could now also be a faithful witness to convey that testimony to other people. He also calls himself in verse 1 a partaker, it says, of the glory, notice, which will be revealed. A glory that is still yet to be revealed. And Peter says, I'm a partaker of that. I've already participated in it to a measure. And no doubt there, Peter's probably alluding to how he, in a sense, did get a preview of the glory to come. 
Remember, Peter's the one who was blessed to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when he was glorified in the midst of Peter, James, and John. Peter saw the ascension of Jesus back into glory. So Peter's referring to both having witnessed Jesus' sufferings, having partaked in some of the glorious experience of the eternal things of the kingdom. And in essence, he's just describing his own personal experience with Jesus relationally. As he refers to these things, he's speaking of his own relationship with Jesus and how that to him as a man was of foremost importance. And I would dare to say, I think Peter's relationship with the Lord, which he alludes to in verse 1, that that relationship and that role of being a follower of Jesus mattered way more than him than his role of in any way being a leader or a minister for Jesus. And by way of application, can I say this? There's a lesson to be learned in that because personal experience with Jesus, hear me, is the highest qualification for anyone who wants to serve the Lord. Personal experience with Jesus yourself as a follower of the Lord is the highest qualification for any servant and for any spiritual leader. See, in order to effectively lead other people spiritually, you've had to have first experienced it for yourself. It's often been said before, you can't lead someone else any further than you've already been. And the first and foremost thing for all of us is we need to have an experience with Jesus ourselves. And from that experience with Jesus ourselves, that in a sense qualifies us to a much greater degree than to have something of value to actually share or contribute with others that we might want to lead in some other capacity or to help in some way. I love in Acts chapter 4 how when people saw the effectiveness of Peter in ministry, and as they saw the effectiveness and the power that the Lord manifested through their lives, it says that, that they perceived that these men had been with Jesus. It doesn't say that when they heard Peter speak and there was a power and authority to what he said, that they said, man, I wonder what institution he went to. Where did he learn to speak with such conviction and to be such a golden-tongued order and to you know, rhyme with his cadence and, and have neat little phrases? No, what they perceived is, this guy's been with Jesus because it seems like Jesus is talking to us when he talks. It seems like we're hearing the heart of the Lord and that we're sensing the voice of God when he talks to us. And they realized when they saw the power that was manifest through uh, Peter's life, they realized that one thing they could characterize is this, this guy's just a fisherman. It says that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They weren't officially trained. They were ordinary men. They were fishermen. And it says, though they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, it says they also realized, but they had been with Jesus. And see, it was the fact that Peter had been with Jesus was what made him such a usable vessel to, in a sense, just be a conduit whereby Jesus might work through his life. And I encourage you this morning, do you want to be effective for the Lord? Do you want to be more effective to minister in your family? Do you want to be more effective in your school system with your friends to reach people with the Lord? Do you want to be more effective in ministry in some capacity or to lead more effectively? You know what the first step is? Spend time with Jesus. Follow Jesus, fall in love with Jesus and, and let your experience with Jesus be something that out of that, 
the power and the love and the ministry of God's Spirit just overflows out of your life, that your cup runs over and you'll have a much greater impact. So here Peter, he wants to address the fellow elders that were among him as an older, more experienced spiritual leader in a sense. He just wants to share his heart with those who had a similar position. He says he wants to exhort them. And we find his exhortation in verse 2 and 3. He says to them, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, he says, but eagerly, and nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So here in verse 2 and 3, we begin to see how, you could say, this is how Jesus desires his flock to be tended. We know who he intends to use. We saw that in verse 1. Elders, spiritually mature men who are raised up by the Lord and anointed without authority to serve in that capacity. This is how then they are to implement their calling. In the verses here, we see how the flock's to be cared for. And he speaks of sort of the primary responsibilities of the elder and the duty of a spiritual leader. It begins in verse 2 by simply saying, first and foremost, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. He uses the imagery of a shepherd caring for a flock of sheep. And where did Peter get that idea? He got that idea from Jesus. Where did this imagery come from? From his own experience of walking with Jesus and how Jesus himself ministered. In Mark chapter 6, it tells us how the disciples took note that Jesus had compassion upon people and he looked at them as those who were like sheep without a shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus called himself the shepherd of the sheep and he spoke about how his sheep would be those who would hear his voice and how he as the good shepherd would tend the sheep and in John chapter 21 when Peter is commissioned by Jesus for ministry he says to Peter three times Peter do you love me and his his response every time is then Peter feed my sheep tend my lambs again same idea Peter shepherd Shepherd, in the same way that you've seen me shepherd and care for people, you do the same. Again, the Bible refers to and equates to people, metaphorically, as sheep. Now, we know a couple things about sheep. They're not the wisest creatures. They don't make the best judgments all the time. They tend to be prone to wander off course. Sheep tend to struggle, it seems, with you know, getting off track and they're not very good if left to themselves all alone. They tend to become vulnerable and end up getting into troublesome places. So therefore, God says, this is what people are like. He says, human beings, we're all like sheep who've gone astray. It's what we're all like. God uses this metaphor of people being like sheep. So Peter here repeats what the Lord had spoken to him about being a shepherd. And he speaks to the fellow elders in their calling. And he says, therefore, I exhort you, shepherd, he says, the flock of God. Now, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, we find a prophecy of the Lord as a shepherd and how he cares for his people as a shepherd. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says this. It says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now that's a prophecy of the Lord functioning as a shepherd. But in that we also have a beautiful picture of the threefold role of what a shepherd is supposed to be. And that is to teach and to tend, and to lead. 
or in a sense to teach or to feed. So to feed and to tend and to lead. That is the threefold role of a natural shepherd and that is the threefold role and responsibility of a spiritual shepherd who shepherds the flock of God. Those who are elders, those who are pastors are to do those three things. They are to feed the flock of God. And we are to feed the flock of God with the word of God because that's what nourishes people spiritually. People need the nourishment that the word of God supplies. So a person who is going to shepherd the flock of God, one of their primary foremost responsibilities is to feed the flock and to feed them with the word of God, to strengthen and to keep them spiritually healthy. And that comes through you know, preparing and communicating messages from God's word. It comes through conversations one-on-one and counseling opportunities. Secondly, he, we also see that a shepherd is supposed to tend the flock. Now, tending the flock referred to just the everyday care of the flock, keeping it healthy, being involved in each individual sheep's life in some various form on occasion, assisting the sheep, helping them as various needs arose, and they would go through different things. And I think this is important to take note of from a place of spiritual leadership. Because I tell you this, an elder, a pastor, a spiritual leader, they are not just supposed to become a glorified public speaker. And when a shepherd or a pastor or an elder wants to be nothing more than a glorified public communicator, they're not a shepherd. They're a paid order. A shepherd doesn't just talk to his sheep, he tends his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. He gets involved and is making sure that he's helping in ways at times. That that's the whole purpose of tending. It's not just feeding. You, you can feed a sheep constantly and make the thing be glutted, but if you don't care about it and you let whatever happen, to, that, that defeats the whole purpose. Sheep have to be tended and taken care of. And thirdly, a shepherd is not supposed to also feed and tend the flock, but also to lead, to provide guidance, to provide direction and and oversight and helping people to, in a sense, get where God intends them to be, to help lead them to the place where God intends for them to get. And notice as well in our verse, he calls it the flock of God. That's important, the flock of God. The flock belongs to God. People are, are God's flock. The flock doesn't belong to the elder or to the pastor, and God forbid if we ever begin to think or act like that. As if somehow the, the, the elder or the pastor or spiritual leader has a right of ownership over the sheep and can just kind of treat them however they want. Something's greatly amiss when that begins to happen. The flock is God's flock. It's a sacred stewardship. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, the sheep are blood-bought. That's a sacred stewardship. The blood-bought flock of God. And notice as well, our text says in verse 2 there, shepherd the flock of God, which is, take notice of these two words there in the text, among you. He's telling the elders, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. In other words, those who are in your midst that God has already given you access to. In a sense, we might say those closest to us should be those who receive the most care from us. Now, why do I bring this up? Because sometimes we want to be so busy tending other sheep that we can do such to the neglect of our own fold. And God says, those I want you to care for are those who are among you. Who do you have access to? Who are right among you? Focus your attention on those that God has placed right among you in your sphere 
of influence. Perhaps you're here this morning, and again, by way of application to each one of us, and you're kind of wondering, how, how am I supposed to serve? Or where should I serve? Or what should I do? Can I encourage you? Start right where you're at. Who has God put among you? Who's in your sphere of influence? If you're a husband and you're a father, you have a flock right there under your roof. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Don't be so busy and preoccupied trying to fix the neighbor's problems and help everybody at work and I'll pray for this person and I'll reach the world and your family's falling apart. You shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Shepherd those who God has given you the greatest access to. Where has God put you? Has he put you in a school system? Reach the peers and the students around you. Has he put you in a place of vocation? Minister to those who are among you. A lot of times we're always looking for this and trying to go after that. And the Lord's saying, look right among you. Right among you. Put the greatest attention and your foremost effort and priority among those who are already in your midst. Right among you, he tells them, shepherd those who are among you. He says, verse 2, serving as overseers. So again, another aspect of spiritual leadership is serving as an overseer. And what does an overseer do? They provide supervision. They make sure things are headed in the right direction. So the responsibility of a spiritual leader is to provide oversight, to be watchful and, and watching over God's people, giving oversight to the flock of God and how they're doing and supervising ministry activities and the functions of the church and how it operates. And Peter speaks here as well in our text about the motivation then and the attitude of spiritual leaders as well. The first thing he mentions regarding healthy and proper motivation is he says, serve in such capacities. Verse two, he says at the end of the verse, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Now that word compulsion is a term that means doing something because you feel pressured to. When you feel compulsion, you, you do something because of pressure that's put upon you. To do something willingly is the exact opposite. It's because you desire to. And what's the Bible telling us? The Bible is telling us that all ministry that's done for God should be done out of a willing heart. Never because of guilt or obligation or a sense of, well, if I don't do it, nobody else will do it. No, the Bible says that we should serve the Lord with gladness. If your heart is you're doing it because nobody else will do it, stop doing it. Stop doing it. The Lord can always raise up laborers. It's a privilege to serve Jesus Christ. And we should never be doing what we're doing because someone guilted us into it or we feel obligation. God wants us to serve from a willing heart because we love God and we love people. And I think as well as he says, the elder or spiritual leader should not serve under compulsion, but willingly. It's a reminder too that the elder should not be the type of person who only serves when pressure is put upon them or only will be faithful when they're compelled to do what they need to do by another. Point being this, an elder cannot be someone who needs to be motivated and persuaded to live for the Lord. An elder should not be the type of person who has to be reminded to read their Bible. A spiritual leader in God's church should not be someone who has to be compelled or asked or required to attend church services faithfully. This doesn't work. The spiritual leader should have an internal motivation and they should be compelled by the love of Christ. 
They should be in close relationship with Jesus, whereby the motivation is not somebody putting a requirement on, listen, if you want to serve as an elder, you have to be at least at Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, and we'd like you to come to Sunday night prayer once in a while. No, there should be an internal motivation that comes from the Lord where they're motivated willingly. They want to serve. And they don't serve just when pressure is put upon them. Again, leaders should not be those who are in need of outward pressure to stay on track. The leader should be above and beyond that. The leader should not be someone who, in a sense, you know, needs to be you know, pressured and obligated to be faithful to their ministry commitment. They should do that out of willingness and faithfulness to the Lord and stimulated from within by self-initiative rather than having to be compelled and pressured to stay faithful. And it's another way of very simply saying, quite frankly, the elder, the spiritual leader should not be lazy. They shouldn't be lazy. They should not be lazy people. God's looking for workers, servants. And, you know, as we look at this by way of application for all of us, I think it's a great opportunity to kind of evaluate our own spiritual lives in light of that exhortation to the leader. A great opportunity this morning in light of that exhortation to the elder, to the pastor, to the leader to not have to be compelled and pressured to be faithful to the Lord to ask ourselves, you know, what marks and characterizes your spiritual life this morning? What characterizes your walk with the Lord? Do you need to be constantly prompted to stay faithful spiritually? Do you need to constantly be prompted by other people to walk with the Lord and to serve the Lord? Does it take somebody always prompting you? Uh, have you read your Bible recently? Oh, yeah, I guess I've read it. Do, do you have to be prompted to read your Bible? Does it take people asking you, hey, uh, you know, what, have you spent any time in prayer recently? Or say, hey, are you going to come back to church? I haven't seen you in two, three weeks. What marks your spiritual life? Do you have to be prompted by others? to be faithful to the Lord or out of a willing heart out of your own relationship with the Lord are you motivated internally because the love of Jesus compels you and you read your Bible because you want to read your Bible and you're reading your Bible because I want to hear God talk to me I need to hear God say something to me or you pray because you want to spend time in the Lord or, or you come to a prayer meeting not because well gosh I guess that's what the spiritual people are doing you come to a prayer meeting because I, I want to go spend time with Jesus I want to go spend time with the Lord. But there's that internal prompting. That's what the Lord wants. He doesn't want, you know, look, that's the law. The law was outward obligation. Grace is internal motivation where the love of the Lord and your relationship with the Lord motivates you internally. Hey, this morning, I would challenge you, if you find yourself unmotivated spiritually, why not pause and ask yourself, why? Why is that? You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, to not be lagging in diligence, but to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Maybe for some of you this morning, if you're a little unmotivated spiritually, just ask the Lord by the fire of his spirit, Lord, uh, can you light a fire under me? Would you motivate me? Lord, I don't want to have to be prompted and pressured to have to serve you. I pray that you would prompt me internally and, and that I would be motivated to willingly want to serve you. And that it would be coming from your own desire to seek the Lord. Secondly, he says as well that elders and leaders by way of motivation, he says in our verse, are not to be doing such, the end of verse 2, for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So this deals with the motivation again of the spiritual leader that they are not to be doing what they're doing in service for, he says, dishonest gain. Now, 
1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 say clearly in the qualifications that an elder is not supposed to be someone who is greedy for money. Now, that being said, it does not mean that a, you know, a spiritual leader or a missionary or a pastor cannot be paid or supported financially for faithful ministry service. The Bible teaches in balance that if finances are available and a workload justifies it, Jesus said the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul said in the book of Corinthians, those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with being compensated financially to be fully engaged in ministry service. However, that being said, the warning here is a spiritual leader should never be serving the Lord for dishonest gain. That is, that whereby they begin to seek personal gain or financial gain in dishonest ways or practices. The elder or the spiritual leader is to serve and follow God's call out of a love for the Lord and a love for people. That should be their motivation. Their motivation should not be for making money or obtaining some well-paid uh, position in some sense. And tragically, let's just be very frank, that becomes the case sometimes among spiritual workers and those who do religious things occupationally. I mean, all you got to do is turn on your TV set and it becomes quite obvious that there are people out there who in the name of God or the name of Jesus that are complete charlatans. Listen, let's be real, gang. There's money to be made in religion. People aren't dumb. And there are people who are nothing other than complete charlatans. And for dishonest gain, they use the work of God, the name of Christ, the cloak of the church, and so on and so forth to basically do nothing other than try and enrich themselves off of naive and foolish and gullible people. And it is a tragedy. And I would not want to be in the boots of those who do that when they stand before God someday. It existed in the early church. Peter addresses it in his second epistle in chapter 2. You can read great detail as he identifies those who do that kind of thing, who are just looking to fleece the flock of God. 1 Timothy 6 warns of those who think godliness is a means of gain. And, and people can begin to just operate in these ways. And they use dishonest practices and deception and manipulation and to some people, spiritual service becomes nothing more than just a lucrative business opportunity to try and take advantage of gullible people to obtain a lavish lifestyle and a wealthy empire. They exist. Let's just be honest about that. Sometimes as well, it may not be that, but other times what can begin to happen is someone who is genuinely engaged in a spiritual service can just sort of begin to have a wrong motivation in their heart and they almost become a little bit greedy in the midst of spiritual service. Whereas they are engaged in serving the Lord, they, they start to become a little bit demanding and they start to almost feel entitled and they almost can begin to sort of uh, feel they deserve a specific lifestyle and they're going to stay with the standards of the secular world and, and I need to be compensated according to the same standards and protocols the, the business world and, and, and they almost begin to require things monetarily and the Bible's warning a person should never enter into the Lord's ministry for monetary purposes. That should never be the case, whereby somebody kind of, you know, as if we're going to sit down and uh, you know, evaluate the, the, the salary and compensation package as a consideration for serving the Lord. Listen, I can tell you firsthand from the integrity of my own heart, both times I've had the privilege to plant a church, both in 1999 when we went to York, Pennsylvania to plant Calvary Chapel there, and then in coming back here, 
on both of those occasions, we did not sit down and review some salary and compensation package as a consideration for whether we were going to engage in service. We, we, we answered God's call. And we served the Lord eagerly. And we trusted God to provide adequately. And guess what? He did. Imagine that. Imagine that. And here, this is just a real warning, a dangerous propensity that can exist. He's saying a true servant of the Lord would not be motivated by dishonest gain, financial enrichment. In fact, those who are genuine servants of the Lord will serve faithfully, I tell you, whether they're compensated or not. Because they do it out of God's call. And it doesn't matter what the compensation is. They do it and they trust the Lord to take care of them. And that's what Peter means when he says in our verse here, spiritual leaders should not serve for dishonest gain. He says, but eagerly. That's, that's the attitude. The motivation should be eagerness, enthusiasm, healthy zeal for God and for his people, doing it for a good and noble desire and serving just because it's the right thing to do. And, and, and you're genuinely not in it to get anything for yourself. You're in it to be able to give and to impart things that are helpful to others. Again, as we look at this by way of applying it to all of our hearts congregationally, can I encourage you this morning, ask yourself the same question. What does it take in your life personally to prompt and motivate you to be willing to serve people? What does it take to prompt you to be willing to actually serve others? Does it take somehow, uh, you know, maybe that you need to know that there's some benefit in it for you long term? Are you eager to serve other people regardless of if you get anything back in return? Are you willing to do something maybe if there's absolutely no eventual long term benefit for you in it? And I bring this to your attention because there is a big difference. There's a big difference in wanting to invest in people's lives and looking at people as an investment to ultimately get something down the road for yourself. Do you understand what I mean by that? There's a very clear difference. It's a fine line. Be careful in that area. Be careful. People are not commodities. People are not intended to be used as customers. And, and, and If you want to invest in people's lives, invest in people's lives. But God forbid, please... Don't use people as an investment. And you may serve them very faithfully, but they're an investment because you're knowing what you can get as a return ultimately out of that. And be careful of that. He says, serve people eagerly, not for dishonest gain. Verse 3 he says as well, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but instead examples to the flock. So here he speaks of the style of leadership. And again, has God called people to provide oversight, to, to rule over God's people in a sense, in a loving and a pure way, and to exercise God-given authority? Yes, we talked about that. However, that being said, the warning here is that spiritual authority should never become out of balance or abused by leaders, whereby the pastor or the elder begins, it says, lording over those entrusted them. And the idea here of the terms is trying to exert your authority over people in controlling ways. It's a warning of the danger of power. Some people are just not able to handle authority. They start domineering people. And here the Bible is telling us the spiritual leader should not be someone who's con you know, having to control everything like a little dictator. Becoming like a tyrant. 
and beginning to just use their authority to exercise control and demand things. And the reality is this, gang. Leadership can be a very attractive thing to some people's personalities. From what I have seen by way of observation, some people have a psychological need almost to exercise authority and be in charge of other people. There's a distorted sense of gratification within them that actually finds fulfillment in telling other people what to do. And they just find enjoyment and a sense of fulfillment in being able to boss other people around and bark orders at people. Some people, it's almost a psychological drive within them where they'll, they'll in that way, find gratification being able to rule over other people. And it's those kind of people that if they're given a role of leadership, they'll become little tyrants. They will get out of control and they can't handle authority and they can become very destructive. They get demanding. They start to use people in self-serving ways and they want to exercise control over people and they start driving people with sort of a whip from behind. Listen, what does the Bible say? God's people are sheep. Cattle are driven. Sheep are led and they're led gently. They're led from the front where you provide, he says, a good example, and then the sheep follow along afterwards. What was Jesus' model of leadership? It wasn't pushing and driving people from behind. Jesus was a shepherd. Jesus led by servant leadership. He led from the front by example, and people responded and followed him towards the will of the Father where he was going. Beware, it is not God's intention forever a spiritual leader to become like a little dictator that's controlling people. That's not God's design. Be careful of that. Something to me is, is almost beginning to become unhealthy when a leader in any capacity, certainly in the church, but whether it be in business or anything, when a leader is at a point where they're, in a sense, needing to enforce their authority or they're needing to demand that their authority be respected and submitted to, I tell you, something's amiss. Something's amiss. Because if there is healthy, God-given authority, people will want to respond to their authority in just a healthy and very beautiful and natural way. But there won't be this demanding and kind of controlling and feeling the need to control and rule over. He warns against that wrong way of enforcing authority. But look what he says, verse 3. Instead, he says, here's the right way, be examples to the flock. That word example there speaks of a pattern or a model that was to be used for repeating or following after. And he says, this is the right way to lead. Leaders are to model for others the Christian life, to teach by example, to show and to demonstrate through their role the things that they're communicating and teaching. The responsibility of a leader is basically to provide a quality model for other people to be able to look up to, to emulate, and to follow after themselves. God's given the leader a position that's to be used, listen, for powerful influence not enforcement influence that's good leadership powerful influence paul said follow me as i follow christ peter says be examples to the flock a good leader will provide a pattern of strong influence that other people can follow after and model and will show people how to live for christ that is part of the role of an elder, a pastor, a spiritual leader, to demonstrate to others how to live according to spiritual priorities, to model for people what it means to 
Obey the word of God to demonstrate to people what it means to be a servant, to model for people what it means to walk by faith and how to make godly decisions, how to listen to the Lord, how to sacrifice, how to love. Spiritual leaders should be those who are representing, look, this is how you do marriage. Look at our marriage. This is how you raise children. And by that model and that pattern, provide something that's a good influence for others. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Even as a younger man, Paul said, Timothy, it doesn't matter if you're young. Even as a young person, you can have a powerful effect in leading others by the power of example. Because the example equals influence. And he says, even as a young person, and let me just say this, how desperately, and I stress the word desperately, how desperately our world needs more people who understand the value and the power of good and godly influence. Can I exhort you this morning in the Lord and challenge you, become a person of influence among those God's put you among. You know, do you have fellow friends and fellow students? Listen. Be an influence. You have the power to influence in incredible ways. Do you have co-workers among? Do you have family members? Are you a parent? Are you a husband? Exercise the power of influence. We need more people who understand the value of what can be done by not bad influence. We have so much available in the area of bad influence. As God's people, let's rise up and provide godly influence, good influence. This is what it means to say, I will follow Jesus and be faithful to Jesus and let people see that. And I tell you, strong leadership will always breed commitment. If people see strong leadership, it will breed commitment. People say, man, I'm behind you, bro. Or I'm behind you, sister. Hey, I want to be like that person. And the Daniels of this day can have such an incredible impact the Rus, you know, be that Esther, be that person that God can use to be a powerful influence. And verse 4, Peter says, and then when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you'll receive that crown of glory that does not fade away. So why be faithful in what we do? Because he says, listen, the chief shepherd, the one who oversees all the flocks, He's about to return and appear again and he's going to examine his sheep and how they were cared for. And more than that, he's going to reward his servants. He says, you'll receive the crown of glory. That word crown there is a reference to the victor's crown that would be received at the end of the athletic contest. As that athlete ran their race to the best of their ability, they received the victor's crown, the Stephanos. And here he says, those who do that, they receive a crown that's perishable. It fades away. He says, we're going to receive a crown of glory. Eternal reward. Listen, is serving the Lord tiring and challenging? Is it hard sometimes to stay faithful? Yes, I understand that. But God is saying, but it will all be worth it. There is coming a day when it will be absolutely worth it, when the Lord's going to appear. Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Are you weary in what God has you doing and serving the Lord in the sphere he's put you in? The Bible says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap a reward if we don't lose heart and give up. Paul says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I can make you a promise this morning as a Christian. 
There is one thing you can do with your life that you'll never regret. And that's serve the Lord. I can't promise you that for everything else you'll do with your life in this world. But if you serve the Lord, no regrets. No regrets. Shall we stand and pray together?